This morning we turn to Revelation chapter 20 and we're going to learn about the millennium and the great white throne judgment. By way of introduction, I would like to remind us that the seven-year tribulation period has ended. So all of the, um, what's going to happen during that seven-year tribulation period, uh, we're past that now. Uh, We've learned about the beast out of the earth who is Antichrist. We've learned about the beast out of the sea, which is the false prophet. We've learned all about the sign of the beast, the mark of the beast, the number of... We've learned about God's judgments falling and how he gives opportunity between each one for people to repent of their sins and get right to to, uh, meet God. So we're past that now. And Jesus has defeated Antichrist and his army at the Battle of Armageddon. And he's ready to establish his earthly kingdom. So in Revelation 20, we read of the binding of Satan during the millennium. And may I remind you that the word millennium comes from the Latin. Latin mille. Mille is 1,000. And so... When we talk about a millennium, that means a thousand-year period. And the millennium will be the thousand-year reign of Jesus on planet Earth. We also read of the two resurrections, one for the righteous and one for the unsaved. I think it comes somewhat as a surprise to many people to hear there is more than one resurrection The Bible says there are two resurrections. And we'll look at that and read about that this morning. We want to read verses 1 through 3 of Revelation 20. This describes the binding of Satan during that millennium period of 1,000 years. That's inaugurated at the end of the tribulation period. Revelation 20 verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him. So that he, Satan, should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. I was impressed by the statement that it's not Jesus, it's not God, but it's an angel that binds Satan. I think we tend to assume that Satan is one of the most powerful fallen angels. Evidently, there are other angels that did not fall that are more powerful than Satan. And God gives orders to this level of authority angel to go and seize the devil and bind him. The period of the binding is 1,000 years. So... The devil is not sovereign. The devil is not all-powerful. The devil is continually under the authority, control of God. He only 
is permitted to do what God permits him to do. You and I don't understand why God would permit the devil to do as much as he permits him to do. But God is all wise. He never makes a mistake. He knows the end from the beginning. He is infinite in his knowledge. Therefore, whether it makes sense to us why God hasn't bound the devil before this period, God knows what he's doing, so we just have to rest in that assurance. The period of the binding is 1,000 years, and the place of the binding is the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is not hell, and the bottomless pit is not the lake of fire. So there is a place called hell, which is the temporary holding place where every sinner who does not repent before they die, they go to hell. Hell is not the permanent abode of the sinner. The sinner has not yet had his day in court. He's not had his final judgment. And so hell is sort of like the county jail prior to final sentencing being sent off to a state prison. Hell is not the permanent abode of the sinner. Nor is it where the bottomless pit is. Where is the bottomless pit? We're not told, but we're told there is one. And that's where Satan will be held for a thousand years. The purpose of the binding? To no longer deceive the nations. So what is the devil presently doing? Deceiving the nations. Now we come to the blessing bestowed upon Christians, verses 4 through 6. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them. Who is the they? John doesn't tell us who the they are. However, when we go back to Matthew, and we read about the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said uh, to him, he quoted from the Ten Commandments. And the rich young ruler was evidently a very religious, upright, moral, good young man. And he said to Jesus, All of these I have kept from my youth up. Jesus looked at him and he said, The one thing you lack, Go and sell what you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And in that recorded incident, we're told that the rich young ruler walked away sorrowfully. He was more loyal and desired his wealth and riches more than he desired a relationship with Jesus. And the disciples were flabbergasted. Jesus turned and said to his disciples, he said, It is harder for a rich man to enter into heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. In the culture, in the belief system of that day, they figured that blessings was a, material prosperity was a sign of God's blessing. And this young ruler had lots of wealth. So certainly from their perspective, he would be easily a candidate for eternal life. And Jesus said, no, 
it's impossible. But then he said, can you imagine a camel going, now the needle is not a little door next to the opening in the walls of Jerusalem where a camel, if you take everything off of him, he gets on his knees, can go through. That's not impossible. There was a little door like that for emergencies. When Jesus uses the word needle, he uses the word for a literal needle. And you know you can't have a camel go through a little needle. But Jesus said, things that are impossible with man are possible with God. Then he said to them, now, whoever forsake anything for me shall receive great reward. And Peter is excited because all those twelve have forsaken their businesses and they've forsaken their families and homes temporarily to follow Jesus. He said, Lord, what are we going to receive? Jesus says, anyone who forsakes anything for my sake will receive a hundred percent benefit. hundred times what they forsook. Now, Jesus said to them, you all, you twelve, are going to sit on thrones and going to judge the nations. Here we see in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. By knowing what Jesus said other places, we put this together, and evidently he's talking about the 12 thrones that Jesus talked about, where his 12 disciples would sit on thrones and judge people. So I'm assuming... That's what John saw. He saw the 12 disciples. Well, Judas wasn't there. Maybe Paul was the 12th one to fill in there. Or Matthias. I don't know which one. They elected Matthias. Whoever it was, they were 12 and they sat. They were thrones and judgment was committed. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image. So these are people who have given their heart to God to follow Jesus after the rapture took place. We saw there will be many people who get converted after the rapture, but they will suffer severely under Antichrist persecution. They would not worship the beast or his image, not received his mark, to buy and sell on their foreheads or on their hands. They had been killed. And here they are in heaven. And they will live and reign with Christ. The whole time of the millennium. Well what about this? This verse says that the tribulation martyrs. Who were executed for refusing the mark of the beast. The beast is Antichrist. Will reign with Christ. Are they the only Christians who are going to get to reign with Christ during that millennium? They're the only ones spoken of here. But that's not all that the Bible reveals about this ruling and reigning with Christ for a thousand years. Other verses in the Bible teach that all the redeemed will reign with Christ. 2 Timothy 2.12 If we endure... We shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. So if we're faithful to Christ throughout our life, then we also are going to reign with him. And we don't have to be a tribulation martyr 
to reign with him. We just have to be faithful to follow him in our life. 1 Corinthians 6.2 Do you not know that the saints, the believers, the holy people, will judge the world? So this is what I see as the time that this will be fulfilled during this millennial reign. People ask, well, the people who have died with Christ, the people who have gone before, all the saints from Adam uh, onward will have their resurrected bodies. Isn't that true? Yes, they'll have their resurrected bodies during the millennium. Well, will everybody else during the millennium have a resurrected body? And the answer is no. Only those people who either died before the rapture or taken up with the rapture or died during that tribulation period, only those people will have their resurrected bodies. The rest of the people on earth who enter into the thousand-year reign will be normal human beings like we are here today. They will, however, be people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, once we get our resurrected bodies, there's no marriage or given in marriage. We're like the angels of heaven. However, the people that are on earth that enter into the millennium marry and have families and many, many babies will be born and the population will again grow. And over a thousand years, there will be a huge population explosion. During the millennium, the book of Isaiah tells us that the lion will lay down with the lamb, that things will be totally different as we know it now. Agriculture, the earth will be changed, and when the guys are reaping, they'll be meeting up with the guys who are planning to plant. It's going to be such a fertile soil here on planet earth during the millennium. There's going to be prosperity. There's going to be abundance. And there's going to be a minimum of sickness and problems and pain. If you die before you're a hundred during the millennium, you are said to be a baby. So during the millennium, ages are going to expand dramatically. That's in the book of Isaiah that talks about the millennial conditions. And so there's going to be a tremendous population explosion, people being born. Now, what are we who are in a resurrected bodies doing? We are going to do whatever Jesus tells us to do. We're going to supervise, oversee cities, towns, nations. We're going to be involved in running the kingdom. And we're going to do it without taking graft. And there's not going to be any cheating because godly people don't steal and cheat and connive. We will do what we do with upright integrity and morality and be the kind of people, the enforcers, the rulers, the overseers that Jesus wants us to be. So there will be resurrected people overseeing the normal human beings. So we will judge the world, we'll reign with him. Verse 5. But the rest of the dead did not live again. The rest of the dead. Who are the rest of the dead? The unsaved dead. The unsaved dead do not live again until the thousand years are finished. And so anyone who is resurrected prior to the ending of the thousand years participate in the first resurrection. 
The rest of the dead are unbelievers of all ages who will be resurrected at the great white throne judgment. But they will not be resurrected at the same time believers are resurrected. Verse 6, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Only believers, holy people, will have part in the first resurrection. You remember Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. He received his resurrected body as he rose from the grave on the third day. That's the first stage of the first resurrection. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says when Jesus comes back, he will, the dead in Christ, who don't have their resurrected bodies right now, anybody who dies as a Christian goes to heaven, but they don't have a resurrected body. They don't get a resurrected body until Jesus comes back at the rapture. The dead in Christ will rise first. So all the saints in heaven who don't have a resurrected body will get their resurrected body. And we who are alive and remain and are in right relationship will be caught up with the Lord right then. That's called the rapture to go up. And we will receive our resurrected bodies in the twinkling of an eye will be transformed. And we'll go to be with the Lord while that tribulation, seven-year tribulation period is inaugurated, the rapture goes first. The church, the ones who are ready, are taken out. Then people will begin to believe this message that they've heard, the books and movies they've seen about the rapture that they poofed and poo-pooed about and said, that's mythology, and I don't believe that, and I, whatever. Oh, they'll believe one of these days, and many of them will turn to God but they won't receive a resurrected body. They won't be with Christ. They'll stay here on earth and go through the horrible, horrible period of judgment. And many of them will lose their lives. Scripture teaches there are two different resurrections. The resurrection of life and the resurrection of condemnation. John 5.29 talks about the resurrection of life and the resurrection of condemnation Christians participate in the resurrection of life. Sinners participate in the resurrection of condemnation. The first resurrection is the resurrection of life and includes only the redeemed. The second resurrection is the resurrection of, the, of condemnation involves only the unsaved. So if you're saved, you'll participate in the first resurrection. If you're not saved... You won't participate in the first. You'll participate in the second. We come now to verses 7 through 10. The battle at the end of the thousand year reign of peace with King Jesus. Verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. That, that pit where he was bound for a thousand years. Verse 8. And will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. So Satan is going to be released from his prison and he will go out to do what he's doing right now, deceiving the nations, the leaders, the people, which are in the four corners of the earth. And there's going to be a battle. He's going to gather them together to do battle. The number of these people will be as the sand of the sea and this will be called the Battle of Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog. Here's what's mind-boggling. 
How many people will resent and hate Jesus as king? After a thousand years of the Prince of Peace, there'll be as many as the sand of the sea. Now, if they don't, if sinners don't like the rule and reign of King Jesus on earth, why would they want to be a part of eternity, the rule and reign of God through all eternity? They would be miserable. They would hate it. And so when sinners are consigned to hell, that is the proper place. They've aligned themselves with the one for whom hell was created, Satan. God never created hell for humans. He made it very clear. It was created for the devil and his fallen angels. But when people rebel against the kindness, love, and mercy of God and align themselves with the devil, whether they know what they're doing or not, they do know they're resisting God. There is a punishment awaiting them if they don't turn and repent. And after a thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on earth where prosperity and everything is according to the word of God, the devil is going to find millions of people who are going to want to fight against Jesus Christ. So it seems that Satan, here's what I derive from this. It seems that Satan is loosed to reveal the character of those who were born to the believers who entered the millennium at the beginning but have not put their faith in King Jesus. These children who were born to believers. And what does that tell me again about the effectiveness of mothers and fathers to influence their children to really believe having a personal relationship with God is the most important thing. They don't do a very good job, do they, evidently, huh? What do you think most parents are most concerned about for their children? They want their children to be healthy. They want their children to be happy. They want their children to get a good education. And they want their children to have a good job. And they want their children to be happy. Yeah? And so, that's what they focus on. That's what they talk about. That's what they... And children grow up. And where is the importance and emphasis on serving Jesus? It's not there. Oh, we'll go to church. Oh, we'll learn to say some prayers. But absolutely living the way God wants us to live, do our parents now, our parents then, going to be doing the job that God expects them to do? The answer is no. Why? Because evidently parents assume that everything's going to be great spiritually if they're healthy and educated and have a good job and are happy and pursue life. That's what we want for our children. That's what we want for our grandchildren. Well, that's not what Nadine and I want for our children or what we want for our grandchildren. We prayed before they were born and we prayed in their infancy that if, they, if God knew they were not going to serve Christ, let them die. Let them die and go to heaven instead of grow up and live their life and go to hell forever. Now, I don't know anybody who is that concerned except a few 
That the, you hear me saying the most important thing in the whole world is that we love and serve Jesus. That is no joke. Now, I don't know many people who believe that strongly, besides me and my wife. And we've imparted that to our children. What are we praying about our grandchildren? We're praying that if they're not going to serve God, now they're past that age of innocence, so now it's too late for them to die. Now we're praying, God, hedge them in with a hedge of thorns. If they start to do wrong, stab them. Be much better for them to be quadriplegic and get right with God and suffer the rest of their days on earth and go to heaven than to be healthy and happy and spend eternity in a devil's hell, wouldn't it? What a tragedy that parents now in the past and in the future with King Jesus are going to do such a terrible job of influencing their children to believe that the most important thing in life is having a personal relationship with Jesus and being faithful to him. This is mind-boggling to me that millions are going to rebel against King Jesus after being there in his presence. These Christ-rejecting sinners will unite to fight against King Jesus at the end of the millennium. Wow. The name given to the army of rebels and its leaders at the end of the millennium is Gog and Magog. To get derivatives of that Hebrew name, uh, nobody knows for sure. We know that what used to be known as Germany was called Magog, but there's no association with Germany here meant at all. So it's just kind of a, a title, like the Battle of Armageddon, the Battle of Gog and Magog. Verse 9, they went up on the breadth of the earth. These are the rebellious, rebellious sinners marshaled together by Satan. And they're going to surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city. That's going to be Jerusalem, earthly Jerusalem. And this time it's not going to be Jesus on a white horse coming back and slaying him with the sword of his mouth. This time, fire will come down from God out of heaven and totally annihilate all of the ungodly rebels. So the place of the sinner's final battle against Jesus will be earthly Jerusalem, the capital city of King Jesus during the millennium. And as we've read in Revelation, the geography of the earth is going to be transformed Mountains disappear, islands disappear, mountains leveled. <clears throat> and there's going to be such a, Jerusalem is going to be elevated. It's going to, the geography of the Holy Land is going to be changed. Jesus, if you want to read about that, Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48. It's Jesus will have a millennial kingdom. There'll be a temple, a millennial temple there. And Jesus will reign from the millennium, but there are going to be a lot of people who are going to resent Jesus telling them what to do. Verse 10, the devil who deceived them. He's good at deception, and people are gullible, and they seem to believe lies easily. He's going to be then cast into the lake of fire. Now this isn't the bottomless pit. He was in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now he's cast into the lake of fire. Fire and brimstone. Where the Antichrist and the false prophet are. 
And they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. No party in hell. No playing golf with your buddies. Well, at least I'll have a lot of friends in hell. No friends in hell. Torment day and night forever and ever and ever and ever. Satan now cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where Antichrist and the false prophet are consigned. Come to the great white throne judgment now in verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face, now look at this, the earth and the heaven fled away and there was no found for them, no place for them. That's the heaven and earth. Present heaven and earth and the millennial heaven and earth will be done away with. King Jesus sits upon the throne to render justice and judgment to each sinner. John sees the contaminated universe go out of existence. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. This is the sinner dead. The books were opened, and another book was opened which is the book of life. What, what are the books? The books are the record, the account that God keeps. We're told in Matthew by Jesus, every idle word that you speak is recorded and you'll give an account for it. So everything you've done, everything you've said, your entire life is being recorded in the books. And unless... You've repented and had the blood applied to your account and lived for him. Then you'll be here if you haven't repented. You'll be among the dead, small and great, having your day in court at the great white throne judgment. And you'll be judged according to your works. So these books record every thought, word, deed of sinful mankind. The book of life. So there are books as well as the book of life. The book of life contains the name of all the redeemed, only saved people. So it will be shown to these people that the names of sinners are not in the book of life. Your name is not here in the book of life. And furthermore, look at all the deeds of your life. You rebel. Look, I talked to you then. I talked to you then. I talked to you thousands of times. Day after day after day and you postponed and rejected and ignored and focused on other things. And you're here today because you would not surrender to me. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and hell, Hades, hell, delivered up the dead who were in them. Hell is not the final place for sinners. The lake of fire and brimstone is the final place. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The first death is physical death for a sinner. He died. He was killed physically. That's the first death. The second death is eternal consignment 
in the lake of fire from which there is no escape. Verse 15, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the great white throne judgment, only sinners. We've been talking this morning about the millennium and the great white throne judgment. Next week, Revelation chapter 21. What should we take from our study this morning? We should take the seriousness of the choices we make. That having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ is not only a great privilege, but it's the requirement to participate in the first resurrection. Because religious people, nice people, morally upright people, will be among the sinner dead because they did not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not walk in the light that God gave them. And I keep reminding you, I've been reminding you throughout our journey through the book of Revelation, that when God says he's not willing that any should perish, that means he's actively seeking and working in the life of every last person alive to draw them to himself. You think you're concerned about people? You're not half as concerned as he is. And he is doing everything possible to influence their minds, their hearts, to come to Christ. But it's amazing how the devil convinces people that being nice and not doing any harm and being religious is sufficient. That's what it means to be a Christian. To believe in Jesus. To believe the Bible but not have a personal relationship, not have a transformation where the old things pass away and all things become new. The devil is happy for people to be religious as long as they're not saved, as long as they don't have a real heart transformation. You have loved ones? I have loved ones. Let's pray that they'll not believe the lie of the devil to believe as long as they're nice people, maybe their good deeds will outweigh their bad deeds and somehow they'll get into heaven, it's not going to happen. If our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, then Jesus didn't need to die on Calvary. But Jesus' death on Calvary was the only way to the Father. It's the only way to be a Christian. And as much as I'd rather live among nice, moral, upright, kind, gracious people, religious people, who don't really have a relationship with Christ. I'd rather live among those kind of people. Those kind of people who think they're saved will be rudely awakened that they believed a lie and have ended up squandering their opportunities and will go to a devil's hell place, the lake of fire in brimstone. Folks, I don't know about you, this is serious business for me. Whatever it takes, I tell the Lord, please, Lord, I'm not wanting to play fast and loose with my never-dying soul. Whatever it takes for me to faithfully follow you to the very end of life, that's what I want you to bring into my life. I'm doing my best to live for you now. I want to make the end of a Christian race. Don't you? God bless us and help us in Jesus' name. Let's pray.